Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Ellison with the Digital Education Podcast. Been doing some different sorts of podcasts as I've, I've kicked into gear a little bit as, as life has slowed down for me a little bit, or maybe more so travel has slowed down for me a little bit. And I'm with a friend of a friend, I suppose, at this point in time. I got introduced uh, to Greg Atkinson through a friend who's been on the podcast, Len Wilson. And Greg is the founder and CEO of Worship Impressions, uh, the First Impressions Conference, the Entrepreneurial Church Conference, as well as the co-founder of the Social Media Church Conference. Oh, so all kinds of questions that could come from there, but Greg is also an entrepreneur, best-selling author, speaker, leadership and life coach, consultant, and member of the Forbes Coaching Council and uh, ICCI. We're together because Len introduced me to Greg through his new book, uh, The Secret Power of Kindness. And I'm going to I'm going to highlight that again, his new book, The Secret Power of Kindness. And so, Greg, thanks for being with me. Thanks for for jumping in on this conversation. But just to get us started, why a book on kindness? Well, first off, let me say uh, thank you for having me. Uh, it's kind of you to bring me on and to expose me to your audience and um, and to your followers. And so I'm, I'm very honored. Um, I, I have tried to model kindness throughout my life, which, you know, there's a lot of personal stories in the book. But the genesis of the book and the original book proposal that I wrote and pitched to our mutual friend was uh, after seeing an interaction in public of a guy that was just terrible to somebody in customer service. Um, a word that I hate, but there's no other way to describe the way he was acting was just being a jerk. He was just terrible to this person and derogatory and putting them down and just very loud and mean. And I saw that interaction and I thought, I need to write about this. Like, we need, we need to make this world a kinder, nicer, more compassionate place. And obviously there's a lot of, uh, as a Christ follower, there's a lot of uh, biblical background for that, but there's also just people in general in our culture, in our country, uh, despite what faith background they have that are cheering me on and, and sending me notes and saying, yes, we need more kindness. I've talked with people of no religion whatsoever to other religions than my own that they they just all are cheering this message on because no matter what uh age you are and no matter what kind of uh job you have we we all want to see more kindness so i, I want to dig in on the idea of kindness with you because the book is great you go through all these different pieces of it but you know for for our time is you know, there is this idea, you know, that that part of kindness, there is, you know, use the word nice, right? Like, hey, what does it mean to be nice? What does it mean to be courteous? What does it mean to be caring? What does it mean to be a hospitable, right? And I think you've written a little bit and done some work on hospitality. But, but how is kindness something that's deeper and more significant than just niceness per se? Yeah, that's 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 a good um, that's a good way to put it. I think nice can often come naturally to people that are just nice. We all know people in our life or maybe family 
who are just all around nice people and um, nothing seems to get under their skin. However, kindness is a choice. Kindness is when we choose how we're going to react to a situation or to somebody's attitude that they may bring to us and that we can either we can be defensive, we can be argumentative, or we can, like I just had a situation last night that my wife witnessed where I de-escalated the situation and um, did not argue back. And this was with a, a family member who was upset about something, and I just did not argue and tried to de-escalate the situation. And so there are, there are tons of people that we all know in our own different worlds that are nice just by nature. And then there are people, uh, myself included, that make a daily choice to be kind. I, I love it. I love it. And and one of the things I, I, I'll ask you for, like, maybe one of those anecdotes from the book, you know, but before we get there, it's like, as I was reading the book, one of the things that struck me, you know, as I was going through it and reading it and, and then going through the different sections is that it seems to me like kindness costs something without a guarantee of a return, right? So it means sacrifice um, seems to be at the core of what you're getting at. How, how do we sacrifice in a sense, or how do we, you know, say, Hey, I'm going to put myself on the side and deescalate something here. And there may not be a return of gratitude or thankfulness or, you know, kindness in return. Um, you know, but then also at the same time, I think you also argue in the book that we also need to show ourselves kindness. Mm -hmm. Right. And we've seen this with care, healthcare workers. We've seen this with educators. We've seen this where they give of themselves constantly. And, and you talk about it with pastors, too. You know, they give of themselves constantly. But then, like, how do we consistently sacrifice and give of ourselves constantly without an expectation of necessarily that being returned to us? But then also show ourselves that same level of kindness and, and, and in many ways, self-care. Yeah, you, you hit on a lot of great points and a lot of stuff I cover in the book. The um, When you talk about healthcare workers, I mentioned my wife in the book. She is a healthcare worker. She's a hospice nurse and they give of themselves. Um, my, my wife is recovering right now after working a 16-hour shift yesterday, 6 a.m. to 10 p.m., and the day before, she worked a 16-hour shift, 6 a.m. to 10 p.m., 32 hours in two days. And so healthcare workers and, as you mentioned, pastors and educators that are uh, investing in young people and, and um, in our uh, society give great greatly of themselves. And it is very sacrificing. And when it comes to whether to argue or to show kindness, that is a sacrifice of pride of um, I'm going to humble myself, not argue, listen. You know, I spent a year with my therapist studying active listening. And years ago, I wrote a blog about um, active listening. And this was based on a year of study with my counselor at saying, hey, I want to be a better listener. Can you teach me? And we worked on it together in therapy sessions once a week. And after a year, I blogged about it and wrote about active listening. But I think being 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 able to listen, you know, there's that famous quote of when somebody acts harshly towards you or is just 
in a in a very mean manner coming at you to not respond with what's wrong with you but rather to think what happened to you you know what what is their family of origin what is their story i share my family origin in the book i share my story but what what did they go through that brought them to this point the guy i referenced that i saw just berating somebody out in public that was the genesis of this book i don't know his background i don't know um you know, for for example, we were out to eat. My father-in-law just passed away this past week. Um, he just died this past week. And we went out to dinner. Uh, two days later, I had my daughters here. All of my kids are in college and grad school, but they were home and we went out to eat. And I mentioned, I took an opportunity to still teach them as I do as a dad. And I said, I said, these people serving us in this restaurant, these servers, have no idea that we just experienced the loss of a loved one. They have no idea that their granddad just died and that my father-in-law died. They, they have no idea, but they're coming up and serving us in a restaurant. And there's that other famous quote of be kind because you never know what battle people are facing. We don't know what they woke up to. We don't know what they have just experienced. I unfortunately have had several friends um, in the last year that have lost uh, kids, like college-age kids, to car accidents. And they are grieving like crazy. And so when they interact with somebody in a grocery store or a restaurant, people don't know what they've been through. People don't know that they're a grieving parent. And so, uh, you know, my favorite word in all the English language, which is my daughter's name, is grace. You know, to, to try to practice grace and show others grace and grace is undeserved. That's the beautiful thing about grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's totally undeserved. They don't have to earn it. We just have the opportunity, especially as a Christ follower, to extend grace and to show people grace, whether they deserve it or not. I love it. And, you know, you, you hit on some of the things from the book and, and, and you share a little bit of your wife's story and then you hint at a little bit of your personal story, what was there, you know, and, and I, I think maybe two questions, right, you know, kind of go together, you know, and you talk about active listening. How do we put ourselves in the position to better hear, learn, know other people's stories? And then was, as you were writing this book, was there a story for you that as you're sharing it, that really resonated for you? Yeah, for your first question, you know, about active listening, I think two things come to mind. I mentioned already surrendering pride, you know, not, not being ready to give my perspective, my view, my answer, but to intently listen. And along with that, and I've read a lot of people, I am not the authority on this, but I read a lot of people that are, are psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists, people like Brene Brown and others that have great thoughts on these subjects. I've read a lot of stuff about the, uh, the, the nature of being curious, being curious about learning about somebody and learning about their story. And so if I'm in a conversation with somebody and they're speaking and all that is going through my mind is the next thing I'm going to say, that I'm going to miss something. And so part of active listening um, is, and I've had actually conversations over the last few years 
where I had no come comeback because I said I was listening so much that I don't even know what I was going to say next because I was clearing my mind to hear what they what their perspective was and what they were saying. But I think having uh, surrendering pride, putting down your pride, which we all all leaders struggle with pride because we're 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 gifted, we're talented, we're skilled, we've worked hard, we've been through education, we we have acquired knowledge, and so. We have to set aside our pride, which is just a human tendency to set that aside. And then the the act of being curious about someone and their story. And that's a way of paying honor and respect to somebody. And something I'm very passionate about and I mentioned in the book is that everybody to show them dignity, that everybody is made in the image of God and that we should care about them, show compassion kindness and and dignity to, to honor people. And this is what I first learned many years ago when I was living in Dallas, working with homeless population, is that everybody is worthy of dignity. And so um, these are hard things to put into practice. But the point of the whole book is intentionality, that every day we can choose to be kind. We can choose to listen. We can choose to show grace. We can choose to be curious, and none of this hardly ever will happen by accident. It is great intentionality. Well, and, and I love that intentionality, uh, and, and it, it's really interesting. I think even some of the research on kindness is that when we are intentional about it, we are open and curious, and we actually see it and can step into it, and that it's also then contagious, like yes. that's the really cool thing about like kindness that when someone sees an act of kindness, they're more likely to do an act of kindness, Yes, you know, and they're more, you know, it's so, so it's this amazing, like contagion that in a positive way that the same way toxicity can be yes. um, in, in the opposite direction. And, and so one of the things I'm really interested in as you write this, right, because you're working with, you know, organizations, churches, companies, you're working with leaders, you're working all these things. And we, and this is something that we talk a lot about in schools is, okay, like a lot of this is my individual character, my individual kindness, my, you, you emphasize family, right? You em emphasize some of these things that we live out together in small groups, whether it be family or community or friendship groups, whatever it might be. I I'm wondering, as you think about this, like how does this translate from the individual kindness that I can build character wise and look at in my life to how do then I, I get to be a part of building communities of kindness to then ultimately leading organizations and embedding the value of kindness into those organizations and the, and the value that you mentioned of like, hey, it starts with seeing human dignity where I don't think a lot of organizations, even religious organizations, oftentimes think about embedding human dignity into their organization. Right. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's twofold. Uh, what where I'm moving in my career as a life coach and as a business consultant is to come in and work with organizations, whether they be a church, a nonprofit business, or educational institution, to work to work with anybody is to come in and address culture. But the two side, the, the other side of it is 
it does start with me. It starts with what I model. Um, and obviously, a lot of books have been written. Amazing books have been written about servant leadership. And then Ken Blanchard's famous book, Lead Like Jesus. So Jesus modeled a way of leading and modeled a way of leadership by putting on uh, a towel, getting on his hands and knees and washing his disciples' feet. So he modeled servant leadership and any good leader, it doesn't matter what organization they are in, they recognize that. And you hear top CEOs talking about the value of servant leadership, that we serve others. And so it starts by modeling it ourselves, how we treat our employees, how we treat those underneath us, how we treat those we teach. So it starts with showing that dignity, that grace, that kindness, that respect, how we treat that. But as you said, kindness is contagious. And what I wrote in the book is kindness unlocks kindness. And so um, when we start to share kindness as an individual, it has an exponential factor that it just multiplies and multiplies and multiplies because if, if you've ever been in a situation, I can't speak for you, but this has happened to me over the years where I was in a restaurant and I went to go pay my bill and the server came over and said, somebody took care of it. Well, that puts me in a good mood the rest of the day. Like I want to go jump through a wall for somebody because somebody in the restaurant saw me and my family there and the server came over and said, your meal's been taken care of. There's no bill. And I'm looking around thinking, who did this? Who was this? And then my daughter worked at Dunkin' Donuts and she manned the drive-thru. And they would have days where the car that was at the window paid for the car behind it. And they kept it going for like 22 cars. Everybody paid for the car behind it. And I actually had that happen to me personally at a Chick-fil-A where I got to the window and they said, the person in front of you bought your meal. And I was in a good mood the rest of the day. Kindness unlocks kindness. Kindness is contagious. And so if we do this in organizations where we have um, opportunities as employees and as leaders, those in leadership, any leadership position to show kindness to those that are, that are in our care. You know, one example is I remember years ago telling a mentor that I used to work for a boss that did end of the year evaluations. Now what's wrong with this is he would take notes and write down every little thing I did wrong for 12 months and blindside me in December, instead of pulling me aside in February and saying, hey, can we work on this right now? Nobody should ever go into an evaluation being blindsided. It should always start with, as you know, we have been talking about growing in such and such area. And so let's talk about how you've come along. But to blind somebody at the end of the year, when you had February, March, April, May, June, all this time to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation as a supervisor and to say, hey, let's work on such and such. Let's keep striving for this goal. And so there are a lot of ways that you can show kindness to your employees, to your workers, to your team, and also the culture you set at any staff meeting. Um, unfortunately, I joke with my wife all the time who has some meetings as a nurse about uh, she'll finish a long three-hour meeting and I will always say that could have been an email, you know? <laughs> so respecting people's time is important. If there is something that could just be an email, 
send an email and don't call a meeting because I was just telling my adult kids the other day, the most precious thing I have to offer them or anybody is my time. It's not money. I have a chapter in the book on generosity and I love to give, but the most precious thing I have is my time. So giving people your time and your attention and the best CEOs walk the floors of their offices interacting with employees. Uh, Jack Welch used to talk about that. He said CEOs should spend one third of their time on the floor talking to employees, going from cubicle to cubicle, door to door, office to office, interacting with those who are under your leadership. Don't spend all your time locked away in an office. So, so let me flip that a little bit on its head, right? Because one of the things that, you know, I have a lot of friends in leadership and, you know, there, there is a, it's hard being a leader right now. Yeah. Um, what would be your encouragement to somebody who has a boss, right? And we all do to a certain extent, right? Even if you're in leadership, you often have a board or you have, you know, you have people that you're accountable to. But but in this, like if I'm in the mushy middle of management or, sure. if, you know, I'm an employee of an organization or I'm a member of a church. Right. Or I am, uh, you know, a student at a school. Right. You talk about your own kids. Right. You know, being students right. and gra grad students. I, we're all followers to a certain extent. And we all have bosses, managers, sure. leaders in our life, you know, even families. Right. Parents and all those types of things. What would be your tips? Yeah. Like, or what would be your encouragement to say, hey, you know what? Like, we expect this of them. How do we also expect this of us to, in some ways, to lead upward with kindness yeah. as well? Yeah, I was going to, you hit the nail on the head. I was going to say when I was uh, for 20 something years on staff at a church, I was not the lead pastor or senior pastor, but I was one of the pastors. And I read everything I could find on leading from the second chair, leading up, leading when you're not in charge. I read everything I could find about leading up. And we all had that opportunity. If we model what it's like to be a good employee, a good boss will recognize that. And there should be, there should be opportunities in the organization for advancement and for promotion, regardless of what organization you're in, uh, your work and your work ethic can speak volumes, but also how you interact with people. I remember in my early 20s, because I started on staff at my first church at the age of 18 as a freshman in college, and I was leading adults in their 60s and 70s when I was 18 years old. You know, when, we, when my father-in-law passed away this past week, I was driving my daughter's home and my youngest is 19. And I said, do you realize how many funerals I was doing when I was 18? Because as a minister, I was officiating funerals as a college student at the age of 18. So I told my daughter, I said, I was younger than you. And I was doing funerals almost every other week because we had an older congregation. But having that opportunity to, to lead well and to set an example and to respond with kindness and, you know, I mentioned earlier briefly to de-escalate a situation. I have worked for some very tough, very difficult, I would dare say very mean bosses. I don't talk about them in the book, but I have experienced some pretty harsh stuff. And my response was to de-escalate the situation. But 
um, a good a good employer should take notice of those that are responding with this secret power of kindness that I talk about in the book. And that, um, you know, one way of, of modeling kindness is not only a work ethic and the way you respond, the way you act, but just arriving on time. You know, I grew up uh, on time as early, or early as on time, on time as late. You know, so I, I grew up, I, I get everywhere early. I always arrive early. And so that's a way of modeling that to to others of I'm I'm going to be there early. I'm going to do the best I can. And, you know, to not mail it in, whatever our job is, whatever our role is. Um, when I think of the power and potential of this book on kindness and what God could do with it, if I had just mailed it in, um, but the opposite, I just finished uh, um, a meeting with my publicist and my publisher and I was telling them and they acknowledged that I bled on the page. This was a work of blood, sweat and tears where for the first time in my life, I share very personal stories. And so I gave it everything I have. Uh, this was not just another book for me. This was my story on the page for all to read. And so whatever your role is from janitor up to CEO, don't mail it in. I, I love I love it, Greg, and I appreciate this. And 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 maybe one last question um, before we go. Summer is oftentimes a place where um, teachers, educators, my friends, school leaders reset. In that reset, what would you encourage them to do before the busyness kicks back in? Well, that's a good, good question. One, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I just, my book, Secret Power of Kindness was just listed on a summer reading list today, uh, for Christianity Today, which is a, a huge organization, but, um, to take the time to read and refresh and recharge. But in my book, I have an entire chapter uh, I don't know if you got to read it yet, but it's dedicated to rest. And so I talk about sabbatical, Sabbath, rest, sleep. I dive deep into sleep. Sleep is a battle for me. I actually woke up at 5 a.m. today and I am not a morning person. So sleep is a struggle for me, but I fight for my sleep and I take medicine to help me sleep. So if you're in a season of recharging and, and rest this summer with a, a break from your responsibilities, I would encourage you to refresh, recharge. And you know the definition of a Sabbath by a lot of people is doing things that refresh you, that recharge you. So if you get refreshed by going fishing or going to see a movie or going to a baseball game, whatever it is that is refreshing to you, because we all have very demanding jobs. So I have every year in my kid's life made sure that we took a family vacation together so that I just drop everything, get away from all responsibilities and pour into my kids and then also unplug myself. And I have found that when I unplugged, and I remember one vacation in particular where we had no cell phone service and no internet, I had so many ideas. I filled a whole journal full of ideas because, and then I wrote an article for Relevant Magazine called Noise. And it was, um, it was the first time I had absolutely unplugged and I had ideas flowing like crazy because I was not distracted by Facebook or Twitter 
or the internet. And so um, try to unplug, turn your phone off, delete the Facebook app, Twitter app, whatever it is for you, Instagram, and just rest, sleep. Um, I mentioned my wife just got off a 16-hour shift. I said, please sleep in today. Just rest, recharge. She said, I'm going to binge television shows. I said, great. So she's upstairs right now binging TV. And I said, just recharge because she just she just worked 32 hours in two days. So I said, please refresh and recharge. But if you get the opportunity this summer, just unplug. It, it is interesting, like even I think organizationally and, you know, I've, I've done this as a school leader is there's great research just even on that well-being um, out of Europe where our European colleagues and friends are mandated to take their vacation days and to turn off and shut yeah. off and go away where yeah. we as an American, we as Americans don't, we don't take our vacation days. There's a lot of research that we don't take our vacation days. And that when we do take our vacation days, we sit in this digital world of half in work and half out of work. Right. And there's incredible research on well-being and and just engagement in life and in our work when we do take that space, when we take those rests and when we separate ourselves from that. And it's interesting, my friend Rex Miller, who's also a friend of Len Wilson, I know he always yeah, right. Rex, Twenty years. Rex, yeah, Rex always says you can't give what you don't have. Right. And as a leader, you can't give what you don't have. I love yeah. Rex. Yeah. So, Greg, um, just close us out, and I'll tie it in with the with the the podcast and different things. But where's a place where people can get more information about you and about the book and the work you're doing? Yes. Yeah, so, my name is Greg Atkinson. I have a website, gregatkinson.com. I'm at Greg Atkinson on Twitter and Instagram. I'm very searchable on Facebook. I have uh, two pages, a personal and a public on Facebook. But the book is just the title, secretpowerofkindness.com, secretpowerofkindness.com. That'll take you straight to the book. You can read through reviews. I actually was blessed to get 45 endorsements. I don't know how it happened uh, in the education world that you're in. I had a president of a university. I had a vice president of Dallas Theological Seminary, but um, had just a mate. I had the the former vice president of Chick Fil A. Somehow wound up with forty five endorsements. So if you get a chance, go to secretpowerkindness.com, read through the endorsements and reviews, and see if you'd be interested in checking it out. But uh, that's how you can get in touch with me. My favorite of the reviews were from your kids. That's what Lynn said. Yeah. <laughs> like the boldness that I'm going to let my kids do this review. <laughs> and so I had I no appreciate control over what they wrote. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It was great. It was a great way to start the book. It was a great way to set the stage. Greg, thanks so much for your time, your energy. And I look forward to connecting people with this. And hopefully, you know, this is an encouragement to you, but it's also an encouragement to others as we, as we, you know, kind of build into this work of, of building and creating a kinder world. Thank you.